Welcome to episode two of the Spectrum Lounge, where we talk to creatives of color changing and disrupting the game in TV, film, and pop culture. Our guest is TV and film critic turned television writer, Shannon M. Houston. Host Rebecca Theodore Gashan spoke with Shannon about her transition from film and TV criticism to Hollywood and the continuing battle for diversity and inclusion in the industry. Take a listen. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? I'm good. So we have Shannon Houston with us. We follow each other on Twitter. She is a TV and film critic turned TV writer. Um, yes. So you're currently on staff with the Looming Tower, the new Hulu series. And you're also yes. working on... Um, I'll, let, I'll let you tell the listeners what you're working on. Oh, sure. Uh-huh. So, uh, yes, I started out as a staff writer on... Hulu's The Looming Tower, which is streaming right now. I think we're on episode seven this week. And from there, I worked on a show called Homecoming, which is going to air on Amazon later this summer, starring Julia Roberts. And right now, I'm in the writer's room for HBO's Lovecraft Country from Jordan Peele and Misha Green. That is so exciting. (laughs) Yes, yes. Very much, yes. Yeah, because I know both of us were huge fans of um, the WGN series Underground, and I fell in love with your recaps. I loved your recaps for Underground, so I just find it amazing that you that you're now working with Misha Green, who is who is the former showrunner. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's completely crazy and really exciting, and definitely like a fantasy come true. So I have no complaints right now. Right. So, I mean, I know you can't give anything away, but what can you tell us as far as, like, you can tell us the synopsis of Lovecraft Country. What What is the show about? What has the experience been like? Sure. So, the show is based on the novel by Matt Ruff, and the novel is set in the 50s, and it centers on a Black family and some of their friends who end up going on a series of of adventures wherein they discover that magic is real and that they are up against a lot in a world of white supremacy, but also uh, white supremacists with power, magic power. That's in the book. And what I'll say about the show so far in the writer's room, without giving too much away, is it's unbelievable. It's like nothing I've ever seen. The conversations that we're having every day in the room are wild. And, you know, in a weird way, I'm kind of terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Because the things that we're talking about and, and the things that we're going to do with the show are really exciting and also boundary pushing. And there are things that we're doing that I'm excited about and things that I myself a little bit offended by. And I'm so excited about that. So I have like a very wide range of emotional reactions every day to different things that we're doing. And for that reason, I know that the show is going to be a much talked about series, to say the least. My. See, I already want to see it. <laughs> I already <laughs> want to see this show. So as far as like the writer's room of Lovecraft Country, what is it looking like, like as far as diversity and inclusion? Yeah, so Misha Green obviously is and has done the work of making sure that the writer's room is reflective of 
the world and also of the the characters that we are working with. Um, but in another way, there's something really not diverse about the room because it's just people of color. <laughs> and there are people who would make the argument that therefore it's, it's not diverse. But there's a really amazing feeling about walking into an office and seeing a black woman behind the front desk and another black woman as Misha's assistant. And then two black women writers in the room and a black man in the room. And we have an Asian man in the room there. So, so it's a funny question of like, is this the diversity that people want? Because there aren't any white people in that writer's room. I don't know, but I know that I feel great going in there every day. Well, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I think it's diverse as hell. So I, I'm so yes. happy to hear that. And, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's been all of this talk about inclusion writers, right? The um, part of Frances yes. McDormand's accept, uh, acceptance speech. And you can speak on this, too, having some, you know, worked on the covering TV and now writing for TV. I just found it a little um it tickled my funny bone um, that like now mainstream media is all on this inclusion writer. And I'm like, yeah, but like people of color have been doing this for years. Like we've always we didn't need an inclusion writer to tell us that our writers room needed to be diverse or the directors or the cast. So I maybe you can talk a little bit about that. I, I just found that. Okay. Yes. Well, I think you and I are of a similar mind when we we hear white people seemingly coming to the realization that maybe they should hire people of color or as we saw in a recent Vanity Fair interview, realizing that they hadn't come to that realization and being kind of surprised by that, things that hadn't occurred to them. But for me, over the years, I think I've started to realize that I'm much happier not worrying about what white people are doing and what their hiring practices are and what they're doing with their movies and their TV shows. Are they including us? Are they hiring? You know, like, yes, that's a big part of the work that a lot of people are doing. But there's something really relaxing about just focusing on what black people and black women especially are doing because we're doing so much. And as you said, we don't ever have to be told that diversity is important or that women should have interesting role, you know, like there are things that we don't have to be told to do. So there's something really refreshing about me just focusing on on those things. Like this year, I didn't watch the Oscars. Mm. I think last year, I barely watched I, I, I think I saw the the moonlight moment happen on Twitter. So there's something to me for for me, sometimes it's important to just step away because you find yourself explaining things over and over again like oh somebody's somebody's talking about inclusion writers isn't this a great idea is this going to be the thing that changes the industry and as you pointed out then you have somebody like Misha Green who proves like it's really not that difficult Mm -hmm. right like right. it's not just hire just hire people of color hire like women hire black women and all these different, even something like an initiative or like there's just something so bizarre that we are constantly coming up with new ideas and policies as if it's like, how do we fix this problem? And it's like you, you hire people. If you care, you will hire people and that'll be the end of it. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, yeah. that's a great point because, you know, we've, we've been witnessing these type of discussions in Hollywood and usually the answer is a panel, right? Oh, we're going to do a panel <laughs> on diversity. We're right. going to do a panel on women in Hollywood. And then every year is the same thing. We get the report. What is it? The Hollywood diversity report. And it's yes. the same dismal stats for people of color and women. And, you know, th- that's why I love the fact that like you said about Misha, like really the solution is just to hire people. Um, and we right. saw that with Ava DuVernay, right? She's three seasons right. into Queen Sugar. And for three seasons, she's hired only women directors. That's it. Right. right? It's fully possible to achieve that <laughs> and to still make a show that people want to watch. So the fact that there are shows that are somehow scrambling, struggling to get even one um, woman director. It's a, it's a joke. Like it just means that it wasn't a priority. We know that we have to know that at this point, it was not a priority for mm-hmm. you to hire a woman or to hire a black person or a person of color. So, and it, it's, it's, it's a strange thing to say because on the one hand, I don't want to say, don't do the panels. Don't right. speak out about this. Don't do the diversity reports. That is a component to to what we're all trying to do. And there's also just a strangeness there that I can never shake that we're like, we're pretending that it's complicated when it's really not. Right, right. Well, what I love is the fact that you can go and do a show like Lovecraft Country, right, which is going to mix blackness with the supernatural, which I'm I'm so excited about because we so rarely get that space. And yeah. That, and then you can go and you can write for a show like The Looming Tower, which is... I guess you would call it like a political thriller, right? Yes. Um, yeah. So tell us how you got the job at, at Looming Tower. Sure. So I, as you know, was writing about film and TV for a long time. And this is a kind of a long story. I'll try to shorten it. Right. But I was, I'd gotten the attention of Jill Soloway, um, who created Transparent. And I was a big fan of that show. And I had been writing some pieces about it and, I'd gotten a chance to interview her as well. And she really took the initiative to reach out to me and to ask me basically point blank, do I want to be a TV writer? Do I want to get into television? Um, Do I, do I have an idea for a show? And she would help me work on it and produce it. And that is exactly what she did. So I had a development deal with Amazon for a pilot that she had basically encouraged me to write after reading this very long essay that I'd written about being in college when I was a young mother and trying to graduate. And also around that same time going through my own issues with my mother who had passed away when I was 15. Mm -hmm. And so she helped me turn that into a pilot, got that pilot uh, sold to Amazon. And from that point on, I had to get agents. And right after I got my agents, they sent me on an interview for the Looming Tower. It was like, you know, it was one of those things that they say where it's like an overnight thing. Like mm-hmm. it was the Amazon deal and then this meeting and then all of a sudden I'm a TV writer. So that's so I'd, I'd met with the showrunner of the Looming Tower, Danny Futterman, and he and I really clicked. I think that he liked that I had a different perspective on 9-11, partly because I was younger than some of the other writers in the room, and also just because of my stance politically mm-hmm. on things and my relationship with America. So from there, I started working in the room. That's amazing. That, like That story sounds like a Hollywood story. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And and for it to happen to a black woman, like you so rarely hear those kind of stories happening to us, right? I, I think that's Yes. Great. 
Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I did that I'm proud of, even though I was terrified while I was doing it, was that I just kept writing. Mm-hmm. Like, I there was a point where I realized I wanted to get in TV and I really didn't know how to do it. So I was like, let me just keep writing. Let me keep interviewing directors and showrunners and people who I admire and just keep writing and I'm not making enough money and I'm not paying my bills and I was struggling. Mm -hmm. But I did not want to do anything else. And I did always have that feeling like I'm close. I'm getting close to something. I don't know what it is, but I'm getting close. Let me keep writing. And um, social media helps a lot, too, because you interact with people. You hear back from people who are like, I love this piece you wrote. Um, Sometimes those people are in the business, but a lot of times they're not. But it's still validating. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, I'm doing something right, maybe. So let me keep writing. So even though I know that I had a very different experience getting into Hollywood, um, it started with writing and just doing a thing that I loved for not a lot of money and not stopping doing it even when I probably should have stopped and gotten a real job at some point. (laughs) So I say that to say if there's if there's anybody who's listening who's thinking about that, like just keep writing. That's really such a big part of it. Yeah, I I love the part that you bring up about um, social media, because I think both of us have experienced and witnessed this is how to me, like social media, like, you know, if you're talking about Twitter or Instagram, well, specifically Twitter, let, let's stick with Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's how it's pretty much democratized the platforms that that women of color and black women now have. Like now we we can have a voice. Like just speaking for me personally, I know that I've gotten quite a few opportunities off of Twitter, right? Like I'll, yes. I'll get an email of like, oh, you know, we want you to be um, on Good Morning America or we need you to be on the show and, you know, just just comment. Uh, we need you as a guest or whatever. Or just even writing opportunities I've had. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's an amazing space. And I always think about how there's something, I feel like there's this energy of like people not liking that that happens sometimes with Twitter. Like, oh, this person just got this because they have X amount of followers or, you know, like whatever that is. But it's like all of that stuff matters. Like I don't know how you end up with 14,000, 20,000 followers. So I'm amazed at people who do it. But but also I do know how you do it. I mean, like you see people live tweeting shows. You see people who are using social media and making connections, um, who, who are sharing important stories that otherwise wouldn't reach a wide audience, all of that is really important. And if that means that we all are getting checks that we wouldn't have otherwise gotten, then it's an amazing tool. And I think that we're definitely, we, you, um, and other people who are, who are like you and our social media influencers are doing so many amazing things with this tool. I think more in a weird way, like more than people expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's just exciting. Right, right. So um, if you could tell our, our, our listeners, what is Looming Tower about? So the Looming Tower is based on the book by Lawrence Wright. It won the Pulitzer a while back. And it really important, the full title is The Road to 9-11, The History of Al-Qaeda and the, and the Road to 9-11. Because the story is really about everything leading up to 9-11, 99% of which the average American, I think, doesn't know about. And what I loved about the book was that it had a heavy focus 
on the history of Al-Qaeda, which is such it's such a long and fascinating history. I think the book starts in like the 40s and the people that you meet and the stories that are being told are just really attempting to create a narrative that tells you how complex this relationship between the United States and countries in the Middle East really is. So for me, it's really about reframing the 9-11 conversation so that we can understand what exactly we're talking about when we talk about terrorism and how the United States has functioned to foster terrorism, how the United States has played a role in how the United States really played a role in 9-11 happening. And by the United States, I'm for the show, it specifically is dealing with the relationship between the FBI and the CIA. So there was a lot that members of the CIA, that CIA agents knew. Mm-hmm. There was a lot that they knew that they did not share with the FBI or with anybody else. And then there's a lot that other people in the American government knew that they also did not share. And the basically the premise of the show is that had those things been shared and had certain intelligence uh, been shared with other agencies, then there's a very good chance that 9-11 wouldn't have happened. So I think that the show is fascinating and It's also difficult to watch, especially if you're somebody who has faith in this government and you look at this event that we have presented a certain way and then you realize that's not what happened. They're not, you know, we have not gotten the full story. We haven't even gotten 25% of the full story. So that's what Looming Tower is trying to correct while also giving you some really fascinating characters, people who are dealing with their faith, losing their faith, trying to hold on to a connection to God, whether they're Muslim or Christian. Uh, So I think that we definitely, it's an ambitious show, but I, you know, I'm still watching it and I'm seeing these episodes in full for the first time. And I'm excited to see that, man, we're kind of pulling it off here. Yeah, I need to watch this show now. (laughs) Because I'm I'm glad you told us about it. Because, you know, I've tried to stay away from shows that deal with you know, 9-11 or terrorism, because it, it always feels like it has like a very white gaze to it, where it's like, sure. all the Americans are good, and they're innocent, and these bad, you know, Middle Eastern people, it's just, I have issues with Homeland. That's one of the reasons why I'm not really crazy about that show. So I think, sure. Yeah. So, so the writer's room for the looming tower, how is that looking at as far as like diversity or inclusion? Um, so I think one of the most important things about the room is that we had, uh, one of our writers comes from a Muslim background, Ali Salim. Uh, he also directed two episodes. He directed my episode 105 as well. And also 104, And we had another writer in the room, writer and filmmaker. His name is Abu Bakr, and he's brilliant. And he was the writer's assistant. And so, and our research assistant was also Muslim. And so I think for that reason, the show is presented not like Homeland, but also the book is not like that. Like I said, the book deals heavily with the Muslim characters and understanding where they're coming from and what they were going through in their own countries, uh, which ultimately would lead to a lot of people joining up with Al-Qaeda. And I think that because the book 
is concerned with those people and concerned with them, you know, from a, an, a lens of understanding and wanting to understand and seeing, again, the, the role that America played in the destruction of parts of their world, then because of that, the show had to do, had to follow suit and had to do the same thing. So we have, uh, you know, our main character is played by Jeff Daniels, obviously a white American, but the other main character is Ali Soufan, um, and he is a Muslim FBI agent. And so we're following both of their stories as the series unfolds. But the writer's room, yeah, so we had two people in the room daily who came from Muslim families, and then I was in the room also. And two white guys, two straight white guys, Mm. and one queer white woman. So I think a good balance of backgrounds and interests and um, also political views. We had a lot of disagreements in the room, and that was also fun. Oh, and so did these disagreements make their way into the script sometimes? Well, I think what happens is, yes, uh, there are are conversations that we do end up putting in the script. But also what I found out was we, we all still have different opinions about what happened. There's a lot of unanswered questions. We tried to answer the questions that we knew we had answers to based on research, based on Larry Wright's work. But there are also a lot of questions that we never got answers to. So we all do have our own theories. But I think also just our own our own perspectives. Again, somebody like me in that room has a different perspective versus uh, somebody who's maybe a little less angry at America. Mm-hmm. And so those voices, um, I believe that those voices all made it into the to the scripts. Right. So uh, being a, a black woman writer, TV writer in Hollywood, do you or maybe you see other black women or women of color facing this in Hollywood where they feel that, oh, because you're a black woman, you can only write black stories, right? Or you can only write from the black, you know, uh, black narratives, but you couldn't do, let's say, a mainstream show. I mean, clearly you are, but I'm just saying, like, going forward, do you see that kind of challenge or roadblock coming up? I personally don't do not see that and even you know there's something funny about if i if that was a block if i was only able to tell stories about black women that, you know there's something awesome about that to mm-hmm. me now if that wasn't my wheelhouse if i had other ideas and other types of stories that i wanted to tell yes i could see that as a as a roadblock and i'm sure that that does happen i'm sure that you get in i mean this is hollywood so yes absolutely I think there are, there are other complicated things that happen when the other side of it is you're a black person in a writer's room and everybody turns to you when there's a black character, when there's a black thing, whatever the thing is. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, this is that thing where I'm supposed to tell you how black people feel about this. And what does that mean? And I can't say that I've experienced that in a way that really bothered me because it's always kind of funny to me. And it's always funny to say, I really don't think we should do this because this character is black and I feel like the character wouldn't do that. But let me also clarify that I do not speak for all black people, but I really don't want the black character to, you know, like it, Mm -hmm. it gets, it gets weird. But what what I really want to say is if I was only allowed to tell stories about black women for the rest of my Hollywood career, I would not consider that a punishment at all. I would consider that 
a gift because that's actually exactly what I want to do. So I'd be, I'd be okay with that. That being said, I wouldn't be okay with having rules about how those stories could be tell and what, how I was allowed to tell those stories. So that's another issue. Yeah. I, I know, um, she's a, a fellow film and TV writer, uh, film and TV critic, Aisha Harris. I remember she wrote an article for Slate a couple of years ago, just kind of touching on what you said about being that only black person in the room. And then they kind of yes. look at you like the race police. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then the added burden of like not having that support that if you do speak up and you're like, okay, you know, we're trying to keep the integrity of this black character. And then you're like the only black person of, you know, and it's like 90, 99% white people. And then you sort of feel isolated. Yes. If some, to anyone listening to this show and they're like, well, I want to write for television, but I didn't go to school for it. I have some ideas. What advice would you give? give to, to someone and to breaking into the industry? It's so tough because there are a million different ways to get in. And I don't want to say like, it's so easy. You can get, you know, it's not like that, but there are so many different avenues. So I wouldn't want to say definitely this avenue, this is the way to do it. What I learned was, like I said earlier, to just keep writing, to push yourself to go to those scary places that you don't want to write about. I think when I started doing that, my writing opened up a little bit for a long time. I think one of the reasons I was drawn to film and TV criticism was because I, I could hide a little bit there. I never wanted to write personal essays. I never wanted to write about the stuff that was really weighing on me that was also informing all of my film and TV stuff. So it is that sort of cliche thing where I feel like the more personal I started to get, the better my writing got or at least the more people received it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a big part of it. And then there's this other thing of making connections with people. And I think that some people call it networking, and I would never call it that. Because for me, it was about falling in love with a show and being like, I'm gonna write something about the show that captures how much I love it and how complicated it is. I'm gonna put everything into this piece even though I'm only getting paid $100 to do it. Right. And I'm going to spend six hours writing this thing. And then, and maybe somebody will see it, maybe nobody will see it, but I have to do that out of love for the art. And then I might reach out to the person who wrote it and say, I want to interview you. I love what you're doing. Or maybe I just reach out to them. And I would always second guess myself when I would do that. I would be like, don't be, don't be weird. Don't reach out to this person. They're going to think you're trying to use them. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I had, um, a, another black woman TV writer. Her name is Charlotte Loriston. Uh, she sat down with me and, and we talked about this before. And she said, everybody is using everybody and not in that way where the word using is this dirty word, but like we are creative people and we have these amazing ideas and sometimes it literally is like a phone call an email like a relationship that you have that turns into this big thing but like we're so afraid to to reach out to people sometimes and so I think if you're a writer and you have things kind of bubbling up inside you to keep writing to always keep writing but also to not be afraid to reach out and make those connections I mean there are times when I would like DM you and be like, Oh, can you share this thing that I wrote? Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, Oh my God, you're such a loser. Don't ask her to share. This. <laughs> but then you would and, and it would get you know, like, so it's 
partly about like getting over that and being like, but that's what it's for. Like, that's what this community is for. And um, that's why I'm a really big fan of those tweets where people are straight up like, please retweet this to save a life or to get me a job. Like, here's my artwork. Re- like, a retweet could get me a job or get, you know, like, whatever it is where it's like, come on, like, that's what we're all doing here a lot of the time. We're doing lots of other things, but we want to work. We want to be paid for these amazing, creative, interesting ideas that we have because a lot of other people are getting paid for their sometimes amazing or not so amazing ideas. Right. So, um, so I think that there's something to really just being like, this is what I want and I'm going after it. Um, and again, just keep writing. Cause it's, it's also that thing where, you know, with every essay, with every article, with every review, uh, you are becoming a different writer. If you're paying attention, um, if you're reading other people's work, you're becoming a different writer and a different reader. So I think all of that is really important. Um, a shorter answer to the question is like, take a risk, move out to LA if mm. you can, or move out to New York. Like I honestly sometimes think like if I hadn't had kids, I would have done it so much sooner. So if you're, if you're the only person you're responsible for, especially take risks and, you know, work on that thing where you're afraid that you're going to fail and everybody's going to be like, oh my God, you failed. (laughs) Cause I'm still there. You know, I just moved here in November and I'm like, oh my God, any day now, this is all going to fall to pieces (laughs) and I have to stop myself from doing that. So there's something about really believing that what you have to say belongs on tv or belongs in a film it's not about like do you deserve it like getting rid of those big questions and just going for it i'm saying all this like i do this every day and i don't but (laughs) those are the things that i would say okay great thank you so much for for calling in and sharing your experience i'm so happy for you i'm i'm so proud of you i I gotta tell you thank you so much i used to read her reviews I'm just ready for everybody to come join me. Like, that's how I feel where I'm like, this was, I know that there are stories where it's hard to break in, but in a weird way, once it started happening, it was happening. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm just like, can we like, let's all just do this. Like, when am I going to start my own production company? Like, like just wanting to gather up everybody because somebody like you and uh, just so many other people who have like, these amazing stories and I'm like god these are things that belong to like they they would make for such great tv such great film so I know that there are people out there who don't think that they have what it takes to be a tv writer or to write a film but it's like if you can tell a good story you're there so come join me is what I'm saying I'm coming yeah I've already I already told my family I'm like yeah I'm going to LA it's actually we're expecting snow in New York tomorrow. <laughs> I know it. I know you are. These are the shenanigans that I have to put up with. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, so, that part I definitely don't miss. So. Absolutely not. <laughs> I feel for you, though. I feel for you. Okay, great. So um, so where can everyone find you on, on social media? I'm at Shannon M. Houston, I believe, on Twitter. But yeah, Shannon Houston. I'm somewhere on there. Um, Shannon M. Houston official on Instagram. So yes, please. Um, stalkers are welcome. But yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks so much for thinking of me. This was so much fun. 
Thank you for listening to the Spectrum Lounge. You can find Shannon Houston on Twitter at Shannon M. Houston. You can also find our host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon, on Twitter at filmfatale underscore NYC. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash film fatale underscore NYC. Till next time.